Thank you, guys. Right here, Steve and Stephanie. They're the volunteers of the week. Okay? Uh, you don't know. If you have coffee, anybody have coffee this morning? They're the reason why. Something happened, and then our regular volunteers were supposed to do it, didn't get communicated with or something, and 8.30 we were scrambling around, and, and, uh, and Steve and Stephanie walk in at the wrong time. <laughs> and I didn't ask them to do it. I simply said, they looked at me like, you look confused. I said, usually I don't handle this, but... Uh, we don't have any coffee, man, and I know how people are here, you know, you, they'll probably leave before they get in the big room if they don't have their coffee, so, uh, so they said, we'll handle it, so they did, thank you so much, so anyway, I just saw them coming in late, so that's why they came in late, they're handling their coffee, okay, <laughs> thank you so much. Um, this morning, I uh, just want to uh, greet you and, uh, and let you know if you're a guest this morning that we've been in a series from last, uh, this is the fourth week of a six-week series on the whole issue of prayer. We've talked about the Lord's Prayer, or what we normally call the Lord's Prayer. It's really the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And today we're going to look at a prayer uh, that's really, it really is the Lord's Prayer, okay? Uh, 19 times in Scripture do we see Jesus, it mentions that Jesus prayed, or it talks about prayers that Jesus um, was talking about prayer. But only one place do we really have where it talks and it actually gives us the prayer that Jesus did, other than the model prayer where he teaches us how to pray. And this is an uh, instance in John chapter 17, so if you have your Bibles this morning or you have your, whichever form you have it in, um, you know, just go ahead and turn there to John chapter 17, the Gospel of John chapter 17, we'll be looking at the whole chapter, not every verse. I was looking at this earlier and I'm going like, man, this is going to be like, I could do a whole series on this one chapter, not just one sermon, but today we're going to try to cover the whole thing in about 30 minutes here, and we're going to look at what it has to say. And as I was looking at it, I realized also this is a graduate recognition Sunday. It's a time when a lot of graduates are transitioning to new places in life. Uh, eighth graders are transitioning to high school. High school graduates are trans, uh, graduating and going on to college or to a career somewhere. Um, graduates from college are, are looking at uh, getting into the real world of, of work and that whole deal. And so we have all those things going on, a lot of transitions. And so I'm thinking about how this applies, this scripture applies to that, but also it applies to all of us today, not just those folks. I thought about, you know, if Jesus were to do a commencement address in, in, in a school, you know, what would he say? And I kind of think what he would say what he says in John 17, because in John 17, what we see is Jesus praying not only about himself, and he starts off there, and it's all right to pray about yourself, but he also prays about his disciples, the ones that were there with him, but then he also prays about all of us. So this is actually a prayer that applies to everyone who calls themselves a follower of Jesus Christ. So all the things today, graduates, you can take these and, and learn. The, good, the, the thing you have an advantage of today is you're on the front end of this whole deal. You know, you're kind of young. You don't think you're young. But you are incredibly young, and, uh, and you get to start off. And, I, and what Jesus says today applies to you, and you can start doing it right instead of living with regrets down the road, uh, which so often we live with. But even if you live with regrets down the road, the thing is that today's a new day, and you can uh, begin that process today. So let's look at what Jesus has to say as he prays. And in, and in John 17, it's interesting because when we usually see pictures of Jesus praying, what is he usually doing? He's you know, next to a rock, and he's got his head bowed. Well, that's not how Jesus normally prayed, or Jewish people didn't pray in that day. It says here in John 17 that as Jesus was, uh, we don't know where he was, in the upper room, or on the transitioning, going down to the, the garden, or where he was, but what he was doing, it says he stopped, and he looks up into heaven, and he opens his eyes, and he looks up, and he prays to the Father, and he prays out loud. That's how we know what the prayer says. 
And so the disciples heard this, and they were um, astounded about what he had to say. And so we want to talk about this today. So I, I asked the question, as Jesus prayed his prayer, and as we pray our prayers, don't you want the answer to your prayer to be don't God to answer the prayer? You don't pray him just to kind of be going through a ritual. If you do, just forget about any answers. Because the issue is, is you, gotta, you, gotta, you, know, you go to God and you pray for things. We've been talking about this, about praying who God is and and yielding our will to him and, and recognize our dependence upon him. That's what we learned from the, from the uh, Lord's Prayer or the, the model prayer. But uh, as we pray, you know, we, we want our prayers to be answered. And so I was wondering and asked myself this question, if the, the, this prayer of Jesus in John 17 was answered, what would it look like? And so I want to talk about that today for a few minutes. The four things that I see in here clearly that he talks about over and over again, and he, multiple, he says it multiple times in his prayer, are four things that are important that, in a sense, if Jesus' prayer was answered, how would it be the answer? And guess what the answer would be? Where would it come? It would, we would be the answer to that prayer. Because he prays about us. He prays about his disciples. He prays about four things. The first thing he prays about, we're the answer to Jesus' prayer when, number one, God is getting the glory. God is getting the glory. He uses the word glory eight times in, uh, in Scripture. It says this in John chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. It doesn't say, God, give me glory just so I can have it all myself. He says, glorify me so that I can glorify you. And the word glory, we don't use that word too much in our culture, do we? But the word glory basically means this. It means to bring out into the open, to, uh, to show it for everyone to see. He said, Jesus is saying, God, I want everybody to see who you are. I want them to know who you are, and I want them to see it through me. So help me to do that which would bring you glory, God. See, that's what God is talking about here. And, and, and so the disciples heard these words, and right, this was right before he went to the cross. And we usually think that, you know, the word glory is kind of like a really great word. It means something really good and powerful, and it kind of was, except what brought God glory the next two or three days after he prayed this prayer in John 17. What happens to John 18 and John 19 and John 20 and John 21? He goes, he goes on trial. He's crucified on a cross. He's resurrected. All those things happen. That is what brought God glory. And we're going like, you mean I can bring God glory even in the tough times of life the things aren't good? Yeah. So the first thing we have to understand that Jesus would be, if we're the answer to Jesus' prayer, if you want to, in a real sense, bring God glory, and it means that, in a sense, that you have to, um, in a sense, you have to allow God to work in your life, because it says in verse 4, it says, this is how it happens. He says, I have brought you glory, talk, Jesus talking to God, the Father, and I always wondered, I'm kind of like chasing rabbits every once in a while, I kind of have a stray thought, you know, must be ADHD or something like that, but the, re, the thing is, I'm thinking, when Jesus prays to God, how does, how does that work? Because isn't Jesus God in the flesh? Does that mean he's talking to himself? I mean, have you ever thought about that? I hope, probably have. And so maybe he is. So in a sense, what we're doing when we see the prayer of Jesus, we're seeing into the mind of God. That's the way I can perceive it here. And so he says this, but Jesus says this in verse 4. He says, God, I have brought you glory on earth, and this is how he's done it, by finishing the work you gave me to do. By finishing the work. And he's getting ready to do that on the cross. The finished work of Jesus was to go to the cross. 
and do for us what, what no one else could do for us, and that is to give us a relationship or enable us to have a relationship with God. So the question is, if that's how Jesus did it, how do we bring, if we're an answer to, answer to Jesus' prayer that, that God would be glorified, how do we bring glory to, uh, how do you and I bring glory to God in our lives? The exact same way that Jesus did. At the end of our life, if you really wanted to say something, say that God, I brought you glory, it would mean this. I did what God made me to do and to be. My life was based, so young folks, college graduates, eighth graders even, older people, anybody beyond that's older people, okay. The question we need to ask ourselves, we're going to bring God glory, is what did God make you to be and to do? Not what makes the most money, not what is, you know, gets me the most fame. What did God make me to be? And if you want to know how that is, it's a real simple thing to do. You're going to like, I don't know that. It's real simple. Remember an acrostic. I've used this 500,000 times since I've been here at Great Oaks. Shape. S-H-A-P-E. Spirit, what are your spiritual gifts? You know, if you're a Christian, God promises you spiritual gifts, things that he brings into your life. H, heart. What are the passions that God has given to you? The passions are things that God has, you just, there's some things you like to do and some things you don't like to do. A, abilities. They're different than spiritual gifts. Abilities are things that you're good at, you could actually do in your life. You know, if you, if you say, I learned this a long time ago. I didn't use this when I was going through school. The first two years I was in college, I was an architectural major. Bad. Because I did not have the abilities to be an architect. I had the, the desire to draw and design things. I was horrible in math. Those of you who know engineering, which is about half the crowd here, you know that math is kind of a prerequisite to, for that field. It's not like I couldn't add. I can do basic math. I just don't do higher level math, you know? And so I'm going like, you know, don't do something that you don't have an ability to do. Just I don't care if you think it's going to be cool or not or it's going to make a lot of money because you're going to be miserable at it and you're going to be a failure. Spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, P, personality. You know that God has given you a personality. Some of you have personalities that will be kind of like leadership personalities. Or be, there's not one type of leadership personality, by the way. There's some people that are quiet leaders and some people that are boisterous leaders, but there's both. But the P is the thing where, in a real sense, is that God has given you a certain type of personality to work with people or to, to do whatever. So understand that. And then E, experiences. Even in young life, even if you're in high school, you've had some experience in your life that have shaped you, some things that have enabled you. And the experiences that shape you are things like educational experiences, things like the things that shape us the most are those things that are hardships that we go through, tough times. So the first thing, if we want to bring God glory, and that's what Jesus prays for here in the prayer of bringing God glory, he said, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. At the end of our life, and I know some of you, you're only, you know, 16 or 18 or 12 or whatever you are, or 40 or 50 or 60 like I am, and, and, and you're going through life and you're kind of figuring out, and you're going like, you know, at the end of my life, what do I want to be recognized for doing? And you want to say, I want to bring God glory because that is the ultimate goal of life, of answering, being an answer to God's prayer? The first thing is, is to understand what God made you to be and do. And do it. It doesn't mean you have to be on the staff of a church. Folks, we need Christians who are doctors and lawyers and engineers. We need people out in the, out in the real world <laughs> other than the church world. 
You can, you can be just as committed to God doing something outside the church walls as you can inside the church walls. Did you hear me say that as a pastor, okay? And so ask the question, number one, you know, if we're going to be the answer to God's prayer, Jesus' prayer here, number one, we need to learn to glorify God and bring him glory. God is getting the glory in our lives, not us. Then Jesus transitions in verse 6. We're not going to really go through this, just kind of tell you a little bit. He transitions at first praying about himself, that he would bring God glory. Then he transitions to praying about his disciples and those who would go after him. And the second thing he says that we're to do in our lives, and the second thing we do when we're in answer to Jesus' prayer, is as he says, when we do this, when we answer to Jesus' prayer, when we live in security, when we live in security, what does that mean? Well, he says it this way in verse 11. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they, talking about his disciples, are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. He says, protect them by the power of your name. Protect them how? He says not, notice what he doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say protect them from all things that are tough. He says protect them from the world. He uses this, 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 this word world over and over again. He's not talking about the physical world. He's talking about the world, and, and we've talked about this before. The world he talks about here is this whole world of people that organize their life around things that are opposed to God. Or they have nothing to do with God. You know, the world does not organize itself, does not manage itself in regard to the, to the things that God would have us to do. It may occasionally by default. But generally it doesn't ask the question, what would Jesus ask me to do? And so he prayed that they be protected in the world, that, that, that we would live pure lives, that we live distinct lives, that we live in the world. Because if we're, you know, in a sense, he didn't say protect them, remove them from the world. Some people have this idea that if I'm going to be a really good Christian, what I have to do is remove myself from everything worldly around us. And in a real sense, what I do, I become a monk. Okay? Now, monks are great folks, okay? Don't know any of them, but I heard they're great folks. But that is not what Jesus says about being, he prays for his, his followers here. He says, protect them as they're in the world. Because in other places, he says, what are we to be as followers of Christ? We're to be salt and we're to be light. And how can you be salt and light if you are not in the world? You can't do it. So he asked, he says, as they go into the world, he was talking about his disciples who was going to be still there, and it talks about us as well. See, if you're, if you're light, if you're, uh, we're to be light, how's the world going to see it unless we're there? If we're going to be sought, how's the world going to taste it unless we're there? So the, when Jesus prayed, he didn't pray for us to be taken out of the world, even though sometimes we wish we could be. He prays that we'd be protected within this world. And then he says, protect them from what? He says, from the world. The world, this, the world is not this planet we live on. And then he says, and, he, and then he tells us, and he tells us this in verse 14. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. See, if you're following Jesus Christ, the reality is this, and if you're at the answer to Jesus' prayer, which I hope you want to be, which I think all of us want to be who are followers of Christ, the answer to Jesus' prayer, he's saying that we are the followers of this. And the reason that the world does not want like us and the world opposes us is not because of who we are personally. It's because we follow the teachings of this book. Not only do we know the teachings of this book, but we live, out, live our life according to the teachings of this book. And in doing so, what happens is 
What happens is, is that people, it shows, it's, it's different than, generally different than what happens in the world. And so when, when light shines on something that's dark, what does it do? It exposes it. And people don't like to be exposed. And so he says, you know, that's why the world hates us. And he also says in verse 15, which I don't have on the screen, he's going like, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. He says there's active forces in the world called Satan that really has no power over you, but if you allow Satan to work in your life, he will work in your life. If you give him some place to work in your life, he will try his best to push you away from God. He can't pull you, take you away from God, but what he can do is make you ineffective. And then he says in verses, he also says two places there that I've kind of passed over a little bit. He says, protect them. Why protect them? Why does God want us to protect us from the world and all the things that are on in the world and from Satan? He says in two, two, two reasons. Number one in verse 11, he says, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. As we are one. We're going to talk about this in a minute, the last point. But he says one of the things that people will understand about you clearly that if you follow Christ is that you're different. You don't have all the hatred and all the bigotry and all the other things that, that the world sometimes has. And he says they're one. Protect them so they'll be one. And then he also he says in verse 13, so that they can have the full measure of my joy within them, that they may have joy. You know, the world has a lot of happiness, but it doesn't have a lot of joy. Happiness is short term. It's, you know, I get, buy a new car and it makes me happy for 15 minutes. Or a new house or something, or, you know, for me, it's a new golf club. Something like that, you know. It's cool the first two, and after, a 50, you know, after playing with it two or three times, my new golf clubs or, or doing whatever, you know, I'm going like, well, that was cool, but it's not really, you know, it must be the golf clubs the reason I can't hit them very well. And so we try to do something else, whatever your deal is, you know. That's happiness. Joy is something that's inter- internal, that, that's in, in spite of the circumstances we can live a life that's full of joy. So he doesn't say, hey, protect them from all the stuff. You know, put a big, put, put a big bubble wrap around everybody so that they won't, they won't have any problems. You know, he says, what I want you to do is while they're in the world, while they're in the system that's opposed to who I am, what I want you to do is protect them so that they will be different, effective. They live in security. That's what it means there. And the third thing he says here in regard to this answer, if we're the answer to Jesus' prayer, he says this, he said, if we're the answer to Jesus' prayer, we are growing in maturity. We are growing in maturity. And he says it this way in verse 17. He says, sanctify them by the truth, for your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Now sanctify, you're going like, what does that mean? Let me tell you what the word sanctification means. It's real simple. It's incredibly simple. It's a word we don't use, but you'll understand it. Sanctification means to separate or to set apart for God's specific purpose. You know what a definition of maturity is? We use this as, what is is the main thing we talk about our purpose as a church at Great Oaks? Is to help people take their next step towards God, okay? If you've been here more than six months, you've probably heard that. 30 times. The reason that's true, and that's the statement that we say, is because it's part of God's plan for all of us. To take your next step towards God. That's called maturity. 
That's sanctification. It's a process. It's not a, it's not a place. Some people think sanctification means, man, you know, I've got it made. I'm no sin anymore. Guys and girls, we know that's not true. Do not raise your hand if I ask this question. How many of you had a bad thought this morning? Just don't have to be totally evil. Just, just semi-bad, you know? You know, we, it's, God knows everything in our heads, every, every thought of our hearts, you know? And the deal is, is that it doesn't mean we're perfect. That's not what it's talking about. It means our life is moving in a direction towards God. That's what sanctification is. We're growing in maturity. And one of the things that Jesus talks about here, one of the prayers that he prays for his followers is that we would be sanctified. That we would be in this process of growing towards maturity. And no matter what age you are and how long you've been a follower of Christ, you're not there yet. I'm not there yet. Not until they shovel dirt over us or sprinkle our ashes somewhere do we stop maturing. We're to be growing in maturity. If you want to be an answer to Jesus' prayer, as Jesus prayed this prayer here, we need to, we need to keep growing. And how does he do that? How does, there's a couple of things he says here that helps us to understand how he does that. How is, how is he going to grow us into maturity, sanctify us? In, in uh, verse 17 it says, sanctify them, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. This book is the key to our growth. Now, I say that, but I have to say something else about this. It's not about how much you know, though. Because he says something else in a minute, too, that makes us understand that this book alone is not... I mean, you can know everything there is about this book and have all knowledge. You could have memorized this book, but that alone is not enough. The book is the key. If you want to be an example to the world, this book has to be a part of your life. And not, not just knowing about it, but living it out. D.L. Moody, uh, there's a little school up in Chicago called Moody Bible Institute. Uh, one of our, I saw one of our kids, Simeon, is going up there to school here this fall. And, and uh, some other folks in our church have been there as well. And D.L. Moody, who's the guy that school's named after, had written on, on the inside of his Bible, he wrote this. He said, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And that's the truth. The thing is, 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 if you will know this book and live by this book, it will guide your life in a real sense. But if you're in sin, you don't want to read this book. If you're just going away from God opposed to God, you don't want to read this book, because the thing is, it'll expose you, expose you to the truth. Maturity, sanctification occurs as we learn and love and live God's word. So that's the third thing he says for us to do. A second thing, I mean, in regard to this too, not only does he sanctify us by the word, by truth, but it says he sanctifies us by, his, by Jesus' own sacrifice. It says in verse 19, he says, For them, for them as disciples, our followers, I sanctify myself. I obey God, I do what God's will is for my life, that they too may be truly sanctified. Folks, it's not just about knowing what's here, it's about trusting our lives to Jesus Christ. You can come to church every Sunday, you can go to Bible college, you can do anything else and learn all it says here, but if you haven't placed your trust in Jesus Christ, you cannot be an answer to his prayer. 
Because the reality is, this just guides you to know him better, to know how to live life better. We're called a people of the book, but we're a people of, of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And the book is what guides us to help to understand who he is and live in relationship with him. The last thing it says in Scripture here, in, um, in, in John 17, the last thing that he talks about here, and I know I'm going through this pretty quickly this morning, is that we are an answer to Jesus' prayer when we're growing in unity. Now, I don't know how many times you've already noticed it talks about this here in Scripture. It keeps talking about they be one and all this. But he kind of concludes this, uh, this passage or this prayer in verse 20 when he says, in Act 20 to the end, he says, My prayers were not them alone. Now, guess what? This is where he concludes all of us. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He says, I'm praying also for the people who are coming after my disciples, after my followers that are living right now, who will believe in their message. If you've said yes to Jesus Christ, guess what? You're included in that prayer. And if you've not said yes, you can be. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father. And then he tells what that means. Just as you are in me and I in you. And once again, I don't understand exactly how that works. You know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. I'm not going to do a message on the Trinity this morning because it's too difficult and I don't understand it anyway. I just believe it's true that God's in all those forms. It's just how you describe it if you want to have a you know, diagram or something, go right ahead. But he says that's true. He says we're together. We're, we're, we're one and the same in a sense. It's not about uniformity. Even Jesus, Jesus had, God had unity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Different, but the same. And he says... I pray that they would, they may also be one. May they also, in verse, and the last, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. Once again, going back to what he said at the beginning, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. See, one of the big deals that Jesus says here in his prayer, he prays about for us, that we would be the answer to his prayer, is that when people see us as followers of Christ, and they see us who call ourselves part of the church of Christ, that he, they would see us as people who are all going in the same direction. Doesn't mean uniformity. Doesn't have to mark, you know, all of us look at different, different backgrounds, you know, different, different upbringings, different... We got people here that have all kind of interests, all kind of things. We, in the church universal, we have people from different cultures, from different... But, and, I've been, and I've not been in a lot of different places. Some, some of you have traveled tons more than I have. But even in the little travel I've had, even in Africa, and even uh, in Canada, you know, <laughs> that's the only other country outside of America I've been. I think Canadians are kind of like Northern Americans. And... Uh, so the deal is, even there, the thing is, is I have found people who are followers of Christ in totally different cultures who I can have fellowship with. And he's going like, you know, nothing, nothing causes the world to ask the question, what is this, what, what's this deal with Jesus Christ, more than unity. Because we live in a world of brokenness. And I'm not talking just about nations, I'm talking about families where we can't get along with our families. And the thing that should draw us together as followers of Jesus Christ, it should start in the family. It should lead us to have being people who, who, more than anything, see, when we're trying to give God the glory, we're not trying to worry so much about us. 
And so it changes the direction of, it's not about me. I don't have the eye problem. What I have is a, a focus upon the bigger picture, and that's being a follower of Christ. And it draws us together in a direction. And that's one of the things that Jesus prays for here. And, he, and he, then he says in verse 23b, he says, Then the world will know that you sent me. Then the world will know that you sent me, and I have loved them even as you loved me. See, the result of true unity is that the world knows. The world knows that, we've sent, that, that uh, God sent them. It's, it, it brings God glory, once again, going back to the very beginning of this whole deal. William Barclay, one of my favorite uh, old uh, dead guys who, who, who wrote some great books and commentaries, very simple uh, daily Bible study, uh, daily study Bible. He, he said this about churches and disunity. He says, the cause of Christian unity at the present time, this was years and years ago, and through all history has been injured and hindered because men love their own ecclesiastical organization, their own creed, and their own ritual more than they love each other. See, Jesus prayed about unity. And he prayed not only will we fill it here on this earth, but he prayed that this unity would continue into eternity. Because he finishes his prayer in verse 24, 25, 26. He says, As Father, I want those who, that you have given me to be with me where I am. Where was he going? To be with the Father in heaven. He said, I want us to all be in unity one day. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. And then he concludes the prayer in the last two verses. He says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known to them in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. How has God continued to make the love, his love known? He's not here anymore physically. How does he make it known? Through us. See, we're, we can be the answer to Jesus' prayer that he prayed 2,000 years ago. He said, you know, you're the answer to my prayer when you're giving me the glory, when it's not all about you. Does your life glorify God? That's the question. Or is it all about yourself? He says, you, you, you can be the answer to my prayer when you live a life free from the fear of the world's approval. When you're going like, you know, I, you know, God has made me this way, and this is the direction that I feel he wants me to go. And so because of that, what you do is you focus your life on pleasing God instead of pleasing everybody else. And you live in that security of knowing that everything, you know, let me tell you folks, people will try to pull you in 45,000 different ways. Because you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. No, you need to do what God tells you to do. And you need to focus your attention and hone your attention on that. That's an answer to Jesus' prayer. Are you growing in maturity? And the way to know that is are you being used for God's purpose in your life? Are you getting closer to God in your life? I mean, I'm talking, sometimes it's little baby steps. Sometimes it's big leaps. But are you growing in maturity? That's an answer. That's, that's one of the things that Jesus prayed about. And are you at unity with other believers? And so the, the simple way to... <laughs> To answer that is this, is there anybody you hold a grudge against that you have unforgiveness for? You're going like, but they don't, no, 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 no. It's not about them. It's about you. See, that's how God, this, this prayer is incredible. If I had, I, I could spend weeks talking about this prayer. 
And I hope, I hope you'll spend weeks reading this prayer and asking God, God, how can I be the answer to the things that you are praying about to the Father in this prayer? As Jesus prayed these words. You know what he says is at stake if we don't become the answer to his prayer? The world knowing who Jesus is. Because everything in this prayer is about focusing our attention and focusing the attention of the world and people around us upon Christ, upon God. And in doing so, that's what gives God glory. So I will challenge you this week. I would challenge you to ask yourself the question, does my life glorify God? Am I living in security, free from fear of everybody else's approval? Am I growing in maturity? And am I connected in a, in a healthy way with other people? That's the thing that Jesus prayed about here. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much this morning that as we come here this place, to this place that we have come to celebrate many things. Graduations from different uh, steps in life. We've come to celebrate uh, what you've done for us upon a cross and what you continue to do for us, God, because it says uh, another place in Romans 8, eight uh, that uh, you were sitting at the right hand of God interceding for us still. It's not like you quit praying for us. And, and I would pray, God, that you would enable us this morning, in a real sense, to experience the joy that comes by living is an answer to your prayer. Jesus, the prayer that you prayed 2,000 years ago is still just as relevant today as it's ever been. The direction that it leads us is is the same as it, as it, it would have been to, for the disciples in that first century. So God, this morning we ask that you would just guide us and help us, God. I pray for the graduates that are going through this transition, that they would ask God, what is it you want me to do with my life? And that they would pursue that with a passion. And in doing so, God, they would bring you glory. And that they would grow in maturity and that they would live in the security of knowing that they're right in the center of your will. Even when things are up and down, it has nothing to do with the circumstances around them. And in doing so, God, that they would be a part of a, a community of believers wherever they go. That would be unified in the direction of following you no matter what. God, guide us now this morning, God, as we close with a song, a song of worship to you, God, that we would just praise you with everything we have. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.